Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're here today. As always, if you are visiting, we are so honored to have you with us. We encourage you to come back to be with us at every opportunity that you have. We have had a number of folks that have placed membership with us recently, two families specifically in the last couple of weeks. And so we're very glad, we're extremely glad for that. We've had uh, three baptized into Christ and for that we rejoice as well. So a lot of good things that are going on and we're very thankful for the church here, for the opportunity to be a part of the work here and we want to encourage you. It might be the case that you're here today and you're looking for a church home and you haven't identified with us and you've been thinking about that. I would encourage you to give strong consideration to that. I know the elders would be more than happy to meet with you, answer any questions that you might have and discuss with you uh, the opportunities for service in this, in this church. I do want to make mention of the fact that next Sunday morning, our young men are going to be leading our worship service. And we want to do everything that we can to fill this building. We want to invite our friends and family members to come and to be a part of this great day. Landon and Dusty are going to be speaking on Sunday morning. And so we want to be here to encourage them. I was thinking a minute ago, as uh, we were worshiping, Isaiah was sitting in front of me, and of course he read scripture a moment ago. When we first came to Olive Branch, Isaiah was just one of a handful of young folks. Isaiah had a lot of, a lot of talent, as you well know. He was just a little fellow. But I thought about how Isaiah was probably the first of what I would call our preachers in waiting. And now we've got a lot of young men that have the ability to preach and to teach. And I said last week, and I believe it to be the case, we have a great group of young men and ladies, and we're very proud of them. Uh, we're thankful for the great example that they set. And we know that they're going to be doing great things in the future. And so I want to encourage you to, to do everything you can to encourage not just our young men, but our young ladies. And we're so proud of them. Uh, by way of our young folks, I also want to mention that Jordan Sanders is now known as the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Jordan is going to state for powerlifting. And uh, if you haven't seen Jordan lately, he has fleshed out. And uh, we're proud of him and we're proud of all of our young folks, but this is just something new that he's picked up and apparently... Uh, does quite well, so we're proud of him. We're going to be looking today at Luke 15. I want to call your attention to Luke 15. As we look at Luke 15, I want us to specifically zero in on the first seven verses of this chapter. I want to begin our study today by asking this question. How much do you think God values your soul. In other words, what kind of worth would you attach to your soul in the eyes of God? I want to suggest to you that you are worth everything. And I would emphasize that word everything to the Lord. In Luke 15, Jesus presents a triad of parables. The thrust of these parables 
is to accentuate the value, the intrinsic value of the human soul. What Jesus is saying in this context is simply this. You mean everything to the Lord. You are worth everything to the Lord. I want to begin by, first of all, noting the compassion of the shepherd. We're going to be looking at the parable of the lost sheep. In order for us to appreciate the context, the richness of this parable, we need to look at the first two verses of chapter 15. Luke said, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives or welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so it's with this backdrop in mind that Jesus presents this parable. And as we begin looking at this parable, I want to suggest that first and foremost, we're going to see the compassion of this great shepherd. Here's what Jesus said. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. As we think about this parable and the emphasis on the lost sheep, I want to suggest that as we think about the fact that it is lost, the picture is that of a sheep that wanders away. He is lost in the wilderness. Now, Jesus often used parables to convey spiritual truths. And that's exactly what he's doing in this parable. We talk about the lostness of the human family. I want to begin by suggesting to you that God knows the condition of the human family. He understands that as human beings, we are lost, that we need a Savior. As a matter of fact, that's why the redemptive plan was formed and executed, because God understood our lost state. When you look at verses 1 and 2 in Luke 15, and read of those sinners that drew near to Jesus to hear him, they were before the right person to help them. Jesus knew about lost people. He came to save lost people. The Son of God said in Luke 19, verse 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the Bible says that sin is a universal problem. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3, verse 23. Paul would say there's none righteous, no, not one. And so God, God knows the condition of the human family, that we're lost, just like that sheep. But God not only knows the condition of the human family, but God cares about the condition of the human family. And that's an important truth. You know, there are some things that people, they just know. 
There are bits and pieces of information that if you were to ask somebody, they could give you the right answer. They know certain things. They know certain truths. But the bottom line is, they may know certain things, but they don't care. Let me tell you what. God not only knows the condition of the human family, but God cares about the human family. He cares about the condition of the human family. That's what sets, that's what sets God apart from mankind. God genuinely cares about us. Somebody says, well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he cares for you. The Lord cares about you. And you need to leave here today knowing that the Lord cares about you individually, specifically. He cares about each one of us. Now, <clears throat> we talk about how this was a lost sheep. Not just a lost sheep, but a loved sheep. Now, if the sheep represents a person, is it not the case that the Bible speaks to us of the love of God? You know, John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. Here's what I want you to see. Number one, God said he loved you. Think about that for a minute. God said he loved you. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me. God loves each of us. Romans 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his own love toward us. Well, 1 John chapter 4, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. In 1 John chapter 4 again, the Bible says, if God so loved us, God said he loved you. But here's the clincher. Not only did God say he loves you, but God showed he loves you. How did he show he loves you? Let me tell you how he did. He sent his son to die for your sins. Again, listen to what the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8. But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 6 he said, Christ died for the ungodly. That's everybody. God said he loves you, and God showed he loves you. That will never change. We talk about deity and the fact that God has always existed. And there are certain truths about Almighty God that will stand the test of time. Jeremiah said in chapter 31, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loves you. He said it, and he showed it. Now there's a third thing you need to see about this sheep, and that is it was a lone sheep, L-O-N-E. Just one sheep. One sheep among 100 that had wandered off or had strayed. Listen again to what Jesus said. What man of you, having 100 sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99, 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. I want to ask you this question. What does that say about your intrinsic worth to the Lord? Let me tell you what. It says everything. 
It says that if you were the only person to have ever lived on planet earth, God would have sent his son to die for your sins. You are more valuable in the eyes of God than you will ever imagine. I don't know if we can impress that truth upon people enough. We use terms like worth and cost and value and we talk about a price tag. Let me tell you what. There is no way to measure your worth in human terms. The Bible says that God spared not his own son. He spared not his own son for you and me. That suggests to me that I am valuable and that you are valuable. The bottom line is this, you are more valuable than you will ever know in the eyes of Almighty God. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our, in our study, and that is the challenges that the Good Shepherd faced. Listen again to what it said in verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he, loses, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? First, I think about the immensity of the, of the search. I mean, here, they, here, here the picture is of a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One sheep wanders away, strays from the fold. And that shepherd has to go out into the wilderness and hunt that sheep down. We talk about the immensity of the search. How much ground do you think a shepherd would have to cover to find that lost sheep? Well, what's the point? You ever thought about the whole redemptive plan of Almighty God? rested upon the shoulders of the Son of God, the immensity of God's redemptive plan fell on one person, the Lord Jesus. Here's what Jesus said during his earthly ministry. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he said, my work is to do the will of him who sent me. In chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus again would say, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus came to fulfill the will of Almighty God. What was that will? To die for sin. The immensity of that, of that great work rested on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's a quotation taken from the Psalms. The quotation is messianic in nature. Speaking of Jesus, when he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of God in heaven. And then I think about the intensity of the search. The Bible says that he left the 99 in the wilderness and went after the one which was lost until he found it. The picture again is that of a shepherd. 
that is not going to rest until he finds that lost sheep. Is it not true that Jesus was willing to experience the stress, the strain, the shame, and suffering of the cross for us? How could Jesus go to the cross? How could he willingly subject himself to such an intense ordeal? I think the Hebrew writer answers it. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. The idea is that Jesus could see the end result of the cross. What was that end result? Your redemption, my redemption, hope, salvation. Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Listen, Jesus came for you. He came to save you. So, the challenges of the shepherd. And then there's a third thing I want you to see, and that is the cheerfulness of the shepherd. First, there was a rescue. Again, going back to verse 4. The Bible says that the good shepherd left the 99 in the wilderness, went after the one which was lost until he found it. Rescue. Did you know that Jesus can rescue you from sin? He can do it today. Now, if, if the world stands, he can do it tomorrow, the next day, next month, next year, whatever. But the bottom line is Jesus has the ability to rescue you from sin today. You can leave, you can leave here a child of God. Every sin washed away. You can leave here today knowing that you are in a right relationship with the Lord. Now I think about the blessings of being rescued from sin. We talk about people that are in a burning building or burning house and how fortunately they were rescued. They would have perished. Jesus came, why? So that you would not perish, but rather that you might live. The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That's you and me. Jesus died for our sins. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How rich is the grace of Almighty God? Well, it's so rich that Paul said, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. So you and I can be saved from sin. Then there's a second thing. Not only is there a rescue pictured, but there is rest. Note what it said in verse 5. 
And when he has found it, that is that lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders. I think about that lost sheep out in the wilderness, separated from the flock, alone, possibly tired, weary, scared, shaking, and the shepherd finds that sheep. The shepherd picks that sheep up, lays it upon his shoulders, and carries it back to the other 99. Well, what's the point? You may be here today, and you are so burdened by a life of sin. You are guilt-ridden. Your life has been marred by sin and unrighteousness. You go to bed at night and you feel weighed down by guilt. You wake up in the morning, that burden is still there. You think about your life and what a mess you've made in your life and you wonder how in the world can I ever get things right. Let me tell you what, here's what Jesus said. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. From what? From sin, unrighteousness, the burden of sin, the guilt of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you enjoy peace with God. But then secondly, you enjoy the peace of God that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, passes all understanding. To know that you are at peace with your maker and that you have peace because of your maker. That's something that money can't buy. That's something that alcohol can't help or drugs or anything else. The only thing that can bring you true internal peace and happiness and contentment and rest from sin is the cleansing blood of Jesus. Again, I think about the words of, of Paul, in him we have redemption through his blood. Or the words of John, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. No wonder Saul of Tarsus was encouraged by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. To know that those sins are in the past. There's a third thing I want you to see. There was a rescue, there was rest, and then thirdly, there was rejoicing. First, there was rejoicing on earth. Listen to what it said. Verse five, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. So, This sheep has been found, returned home safe and sound. And there's happiness and joy. When you obey the gospel, first, you rejoice. Why? Because your sins have been cleansed. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Bible talks about the eunuch that had come in contact with Philip Philip, of course, preached Jesus to this man. When they came to certain water, he said, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And 
Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The chariot was stopped. They went down into the water, and this man was baptized. And the Bible says, he went on his way rejoicing. Why was that? Because he was a child of God. His sins had been redeemed, removed. He was now a part of the kingdom of Almighty God. So he was rejoicing. Read other accounts in the book of Acts. And note, if you would, the emphasis on the joy. Again, Acts chapter 8, when Philip went down to Samaria, the Bible says there was great joy in that city. David, after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, would say in Psalm 51, a penitential psalm, restore to me the joy of your salvation. There is joy associated with salvation. And then the Bible says that this shepherd rejoiced with his friends and neighbors. Let me tell you what, when people are baptized into Christ, when people come home to Christ, we rejoice. Why is that? Because we know they are now among the saved. They're no longer living in sin. No longer a part of the world. No longer a part of the devil's entourage, so to speak. They're part of the church. They're part of the faithful. So there is rejoicing, according to Jesus, on earth. But then the Bible says there's also rejoicing in heaven. Listen to what it said in verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who, rep who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, if you drop down and look at verse 10, when Jesus talks about the parable of the lost coin, he said, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When people come home to the Lord, there is rejoicing, not just here on earth, but in heaven. Because God's redemptive plan is at work. I want you to understand you are worth more than you will ever know to the Lord. I want to close by sharing with you something that happened a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't ask Amanda if I could mention her name this morning, but I'm going to. Amanda is the granddaughter of Harold Ray. About two weeks ago, during the invitation song, I was standing in front of the congregation. Amanda was sitting midway back in the auditorium. And as we were standing and singing, tears were flooding her face. She was weeping audibly. I thought maybe she was going to respond to the invitation. And then I thought, if she doesn't respond, I'm going to go to her after services and just ask her, is there anything we can do? But she didn't respond to the invitation. So I met her in the back as she was coming down the aisle. She still looked visibly upset. I could tell she had been very emotional. And so when I saw her, I said, Amanda, is there anything we can do for you? She was flooded with emotion. 
And here's what she said to me. She said, I just have so much sin in my life. Now listen, that may be where you are today. You feel like you just have so much sin in your life that there's no hope. My response is, look, you're in the right place. I don't care how deep you may feel like you are in a life of sin. God can pull you up out of a life of sin. So I told, I told her, I said, you can be baptized into Christ. Your sins can be washed away. I said, would you like to do that? She thought about it a minute or, t- a minute or two. And she said, I want to be baptized. A few minutes later, she was baptized. When she came up out of the water, I said to her, you're free. From what? From sin. Free. The shackles of sin no longer attached to her life. Free redeemed, cleansed, saved. Now I want to ask you, where are you in life? Do you feel like you're upside down in a life of sin? If your answer is yes, let me tell you what, you're in the right place. You're in the right place because Jesus can save you. You just have to You just have to do what Amanda did. Recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what I asked her. I said, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? She said, yes, I do. I said, you're ready to be baptized. Why was she baptized? For the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. So that her sins might be washed away, Acts 22.16. The Bible says that when she did that, God added her to his family. And he'll do that for you today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, come to Christ. Maybe you're a Christian. And like that lost sheep, you're out in the wilderness of sin. You haven't made it home yet. But I want you to know that the Lord is saying, come home. Come home today as we stand and sing.